Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Discover what's possible when people impacted by autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, here's your host, Rachel Harmon. Hello, everyone. Today's guest is Shreya Jen. At only 25 years old, Shreya is the CEO and founder of Reservoir, India's largest digital community of people with developmental and intellectual disabilities. The team at Reservoir is driven by a passion to make India a truly inclusive country for people who are differently abled. They aim to build a safe space to connect families with resources and professionals. Shreya's younger brother, Suvrit, has autism. Shreya describes how her relationship with Suvrit has evolved over the years, leading to him now being her inspiration. Shreya's mother, Sangeeta Jin, has been working closely with the Global Autism Project for several years now. In 2010, we partnered with Soram in Chandigarh and have since sent over 20 skill core teams to provide hands-on training to the teachers and staff at the school. You'll be hearing from our partner Sangeeta in a future episode. Shreya and I discussed the understanding of autism in India and what it was like for her family when her brother would repeatedly get rejected by different schools. She details her first lessons of advocacy and why it's important to educate children about autism at an early age. Shreya shares her reflections on entrepreneurship and her strive to create something fulfilling and wholesome. In this episode, discover what's possible when someone counters assumptions by starting conversations with an open heart. You can find links to learn more about Shreya and her organization, Reservoir, on our show notes at autismknowsnoborders.com. Now, I present you, Shreya Jen. Welcome to the show, Shreya. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're excited to have you here. So I understand your inspiration for starting Reservoir is your younger brother. He has autism. Could you tell us about him? What is his name and how old is he? Right. So my brother is my inspiration for starting this company. His name is Suvrat and he's 20 years old. He got diagnosed when he was two and a half and he lives with my parents. So... It's pretty great, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could you paint us a picture of the landscape of autism in India? What are the attitudes around autism and what services are available to families? Right. So, first of all, I think it's not a uniform landscape. There are different levels of acceptance, in fact, different levels of awareness across the country, depending on you know, what kind of community you belong to, what kind of city you're living in, what kind of access to information you have. But more or less, I think we have a very long way to go in terms of understanding and generalizing the concept of different abilities and neurodiversity across the country. My brother, when he was diagnosed at two and a half, I think my family did not know what autism meant, right? And this Mm -hmm. was 18 years ago. And I think if I were to ask a lot of people around me, even like people who go to college and, you know, just educated people, a lot of people don't truly understand what it is, which really, really surprises me and shocks me, right? So I don't know where we're going wrong, but I think if we've not met the first step of knowing what it is, the infrastructure around for support and help obviously lags and gets 
and is staggering behind because of that. But nonetheless, credit where it's due, we have progressed a lot in the last decade as well. You know, we've learned a lot from what's happening in the West, culturally adapted it to see how it fits here. So now we have special schools, we have a lot of therapy coming in. We also have some amount of ABA that's starting to trickle in, which is a very, very new concept. But even more advanced therapies like music therapy, art therapy are slowly gaining some attention and some popularity. But I think what's most important is that we're finally going out there and talking about it. I think that's my favorite part. Like families around me are willing to talk about it now out in the open. And I think that's where we're at. <laughs> mm-hmm. Back 18 years ago, what was it like for your family? How did they notice that your brother might be different? What made them want to go seek help? It was mostly my mom because she was the one spending maximum amount of time with him. And of course, this is all hearsay now because I was very, very young myself. But from what I remember is that my brother had a decent amount of speech before this happened. So, you know, and he would speak words in three different languages. So he would speak some amount of English to me, some amount of Hindi to my parents and some amount of Punjabi, which is our native language to my grandparents. So it was very interesting to see how he'd learned what language works for different kind of people in the family. And he was very, very intelligent. And he also had learned his own style of communication with everybody, which sort of started to go down after about a fever. So after that, we started observing that he was staying more aloof. He wasn't interacting with people as much. And his uh, speech was also deteriorating. And I think at that point, my mom said that I think this is a little more than just a child recovering from fever. You know, I think I know him well enough to know that this is not regular fever recovery for him. This is something more. And in the beginning, she got a lot of backlash for that as well, where everybody around me was like, no, you know, you're just putting too much pressure on the child. Like, why can't you let him be? You're being crazy. You know, you need help. Your child doesn't need help. So it was all sorts of reactions and of course they all came from a very protective place it wasn't easy to get help at that point of time and then eventually I think finally my mom took a stand she's like no but you know like we have to do this so initially when we went to the doctors in Chandigarh which is where I'm from I don't think anybody knew what they were talking about nobody knew like some of the doctors also called my mom crazy that you're just obsessing over your child right? Like, because you have nothing better to do. So it was very hard for my mom to still keep fighting and figuring out the right answers. And then eventually, I think, I don't even remember which doctor this was, but somebody said that, oh, your child might have autism. And my mom, at that point, probably had no idea what that meant. But eventually, she got redirected to a school, which is now a very, very big school in Delhi, called Action for Autism. She was redirected there. And there, she sort of found more help. And then I don't remember the exact sequence, to be honest, but it was a combination of people in Delhi, a combination of people in Bombay. Finally, like, I think it was like a few months after when we finally figured out and sort of, you know, came to terms with that this is something that's lifelong. This is something that we all need to, like, deal with. But I remember in that moment, of course, it was terrifying, but we were all taking it in our stride. We were all doing what we needed to do to be there for each other and to support each other. Like, I remember my mom moved to Delhi because there was absolutely no kind of help available in Chandigarh at that time. So I would go to Delhi with my dad over the weekends to spend time with him or my mom would come back. So it was, it was difficult, but I think we were all like making the best of the situation and the best of resources of what we had. Eventually, when my mom came back to Chandigarh and, you know, we tried to like get him admissions in schools, 
he was thrown out of multiple schools, multiple mainstream schools, even though he was doing really, really well, right? Like, he used to love going to school. But just, I think, more than anything else, the principals, the staff, the parents around would just find it extremely absurd and, I don't know, then there's no awareness around something. That's what happens. What was he doing that was absurd? What was making him stand out? I think... There are slight differences in behavior from an atypical child to a child who has autism, right? Like, so I think just those minor differences and just the fact that everybody knew that he was different was scaring them a little bit. So at that point, I remember it wasn't even like he wasn't doing well or he wasn't coping well. He was doing beautifully. And we were just happy that he was going to a, a school where he had friends and, you know, where he had a schedule that was close to normal. Like, that was so important for us in that moment. And, you know, initially he was going to the same school that I went to, now that I think about it. I had gone to the same school and that school has been so important to me because those are your initial forming years, right? And we wanted the same for my brother. And when he could not have that, I think it really set us back a few steps. And I feel like that is when we sort of got rejected again and again and again. And that forced us to think about things very differently. Because up till then, we were like, okay, this is fine. He's different. So what, you know? So what? But I think when we were put down so many times by people around us that you're forced to sort of... It's not so easy to always keep your spirits up. Right. So I guess that's what happened. But then eventually we found a smaller school, which was not as fancy and not as big and not as uptight, I guess. And they were very, very accommodating of Suvrat. In fact, you know, as he grew older... Then the only thing was that he was the tallest kid in his class. <laughs> like that was the <laughs> that was the odd thing. But still, that school is like I think like that school is called Rainbow. I'll never forget that school because consistently for all his annual days, Sovid would become a tree <laughs> because that all he, he was so tall. That's the only participation in annual school in annual days. But it was really nice. So you know, we found support in the most unexpected ways in the most unexpected forms but also got rejected from places we, you know, we were confident that we'll find help. Yeah. I just want to point out too that your mother is very involved with the Global Autism Project. Can you just give a little bit of a background of what she's doing at Sorum School? Right. So I think my mom started uh, working at Sorum, I want to say 10 years ago. Maybe more now. Yeah, definitely more. I should know this. But she started there as a volunteer and it was only because we found the school and we absolutely loved it. The principal over there, Mrs. Pramila Chandramohan, she's just an amazing woman. And I think more than anything else, you just feel very loved there, right? So my mom said, okay, fine. You know, this is one place I feel like I'm home. It's okay. It doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. And she started there as a volunteer and slowly and slowly... She became a part of that family along with my brother. And then she also went on to pursuing her studies in this field. So she did her B.Ed. in special education and autism. And she took on a larger role eventually. And I think this is also when she came across the Global Autism Project and they formed a partnership. And I think ever since then, the face of Sorum has also evolved exponentially, right? Mm -hmm. I think the exposure that we got because of the Global Autism Project, it was, I think more than, it re-energized everybody. It was, it was the sense of hope almost that, like, you know, just dream bigger. Like, don't limit yourself to 
to feeling loved, set bigger goals for yourself. And I think that was very, very beautiful because till now we were like, oh, there's nothing. Here's a school that makes you feel loved. And that's great, right? So I think we'd almost settled there. And as great as that was, I feel like it was amazing to sort of, for someone to come along and say, but you know what, why don't you dream bigger? Like, you got here and now it's possible for you to go to the next step. And I think my mom and Molly and the entire Global Autism Project team sort of made that happen for Sarum. Because now look at them, you know, they're looking at vocational programs, they're thinking about employment programs and, you know, the way they collect data for their students has changed. They've digitalized so many things. So it's absolutely beautiful. Like the Sindhian journey has been growing and evolving very nicely. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Shreya, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Thinking about your mom dreaming big and being this kind of go-getter, like I can see that in you too. Being a CEO at 25, you know, all of that you've accomplished so far. You know, I feel like when I was finishing my MBA and every time I would look at Molly and when I would look at entrepreneurs, including my mom, including my dad, you know, I'm surrounded by all of these energetic people. I would be so fascinated by them that you have this opportunity to create something. And now that I'm actually doing it myself, at least in some parts, I think it's so much more than just, I don't know how to explain it, right? It's, it's so, so it's so fulfilling and wholesome to be able to create something and see it like from like, it's a sapling right now, but you know, there was a point when it was just a seed. So it's just to be able to see something grow in front of your own eyes and know that you're contributing to the growth of something is absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want to get more into the work that you're doing at Reservoir, but let's backtrack a little bit. I want to ask you how it was for you growing up. When your brother was diagnosed, you were very young. What was going on in your head? When did you start to realize also what autism was and how was it affecting you? Um, I think when I was, when he, my brother was born, I was obsessed with him. I was absolutely obsessed with him. I remember I would swing him on my hip and like carry him around. And it was so funny because my parents were always scared that how is this child not crying or feeling (laughs) uncomfortable or whatever, right? So we were attached to the hip quite literally. (laughs) But, you know, I think at that time when I realized that he needed help or he needed something more, I was was like, fine, you know, we're going to get him whatever he needs. Even as a child, I was like, sure, sure, you know, you have to move to Delhi. I'll stay on my own. It's absolutely fine, right? So I think it also made me grow up really, really fast because I had no option. And then I remember when I was in my teenage, there was a little bit of resentment because I, I, at that point I was like, where is my piece of attention? You know, what am I getting? Like mm-hmm. everything's about him. So I think in those years, it took me a little bit longer to come back and realize that my parents didn't mean any harm or, you know, he didn't mean any harm. So there was a phase where we weren't so attached to the hip. Where we were like, I was like, fine, I, I have my friends, I have my cousins. It's cool, right? Mm-hmm. So I think I was being really distant. And then, I don't know, he has, you know, it's, I guess it's with people who are differently able, they have this blessing that they don't sort of hold things against you. Because I know if I would have, like, distanced myself from any other friend for that long, they would have probably just walked away from me, right? But I think for my brother, like, the minute I wanted to go back to him and sort of rekindle our friendship, he was very open to it. And I don't think he ever sort of made me feel bad about it for not being there in the middle or being absent-minded about it, right? Um, Or being angry at him, in fact. I was angry for a very, very long time. When was it that you tried to rekindle your friendship? 
So we've had phases, to be honest. Uh, like there was one time when I remember we just shifted houses. Subhit had also come back for good now. You know, he was in the, we were in the same city long enough. So we had a chance to spend some time with each other. And he was also surprisingly taking up to sports really well, which was beautiful because I've always been into sports. And when we got to do something together that we really liked, instead of me having to do something with him, for him, you know. Now we finally had a common interest and a common goal, which really, really helped us. So, we, you know, we, I taught him how to cycle with my mom. I taught him how to skate. We taught him how to swim. We would go in the park a lot at that time. We made some friends together. So that was really nice. But then again, we moved houses and, you know, this friend circle broke apart. My studies got harder. So, uh, you know, I think then when we, when we grew up, again, when I was in my 11th grade or 12th grade, I think then again, I had this phase that I was like, whatever, I don't care about you. But then I think the next sense of realization happened when I had to choose where I had to go for college, where I had to go for university. And I got admission in a college in the UK, I got into Nottingham. And I said, okay, fine, I'm going to leave. And then when we were sitting and discussing what this would mean for us as a family, I think that's when it hit me that if I move apart now, well, I don't know when I'm going to come back and what does that mean for me and my brother, right? Will we be able to survive this really long patch of being apart? And I think that's just being able to think like that and think about him in that moment made me feel like, no, I deeply, deeply cared about him. And I think ever since then, there's sort of been no doubt because... That came very naturally. That was something that my parents didn't have to tell me to do or nobody forced that upon me. And I think it's not been the same ever since. Like, even though we don't meet, I feel like my brother also has started showing affection towards me in a manner that he didn't before. So even though we meet, we meet for brief periods when I go back, it's way more meaningful than it was in the middle Mm-hmm. And I don't think that everybody needs to do this, but I think I'm at a point in my life where whatever decisions I take for my future, I like to think about him from the start, right? Because I want to be close to him. It's not like I have to take care of him or my parents are imposing any kind of responsibility, but it it just makes me feel nice about who I am when I'm around him, right? It makes me feel like my most authentic, truest self in a weird way and my most childish self when I'm around him, which I don't get to be otherwise. Like, otherwise I'm running a company, I have to be really strict and straightforward and, you know, all of those other things. Yeah. But when I'm around him, I'm like a child. And I really, really, really enjoy that side of me. Yeah, it sounds like you guys have a really good relationship now. Yeah, we do. It's really, really nice. In fact, you know, now my, um, he Suvrit, makes a lot of interesting vocational items like wind chimes, he does a lot of weaving, so he makes a lot of scarves, and now he's cold pressing oils, he's all over the place. Um, but I, I also, like, whatever little bit I can do, right, just in helping my mom promote all of those products, in helping them set up an Instagram page, just, like, small things which I can do from here, I really, I think that's also helped us maintain our connection, even though he doesn't probably realize it's been through that, but I'm, in a way, connected to what he's doing at all times. So it's, it's really nice. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that you studied, you got an MBA, right? Yeah, I did my chemical engineering and then I did my MBA. I was studying to be a part of the pharmaceutical industry. I don't know how I got here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, that's a big leap from pharmaceuticals to autism advocacy. What was the path for that? 
I think like many other things in this world, it was the Global Autism Project. <laughs> no, seriously. So in my final year of MBA, I was talking to the Global Autism Project team and I was helping them on a project called the Accelerated Business Academy, which was very interesting because I got to apply my MBA firsthand into a project that would make a difference in the real world. So I think after I got done with college, I had the opportunity to go to New York for three and a half months actually implement what we created together but while i was there i think the exposure that i had to the infrastructure to the kind of ecosystem that exists in other parts of the world for people who have autism for people who are differently abled i think that just blew my mind right and that made me so uncomfortable rachel like just being there for three and a half months like there have been times when i've just gone home and cried because i couldn't imagine that life for my family, for my friends, for my friends who are on the spectrum, ever here, at least not anytime soon. And I think that insane amount of discomfort sort of made me take the leap, but made me like it just pushed me over the edge. So I had to come back to a job which I'd gotten through my college, to my university, and I was I was supposed to join that. So I think, I mean, I, because it was all done, so I had to start it. I, every morning I would wake up. I would reach that office and I would hate myself. I would absolutely hate myself, right? And I did that for exactly 10 days. And then I was like, nope. <laughs> like, 10 days? You know, I'm, yeah, I swear. Because I was like, what am I? I'm, I'm, I'm not giving my best to this company that's supposed to pay me. I'm not giving my, my own self, like, the happiness or whatever that it deserves. So what's the point, right? And everybody told me at that point that, you know, you don't have enough work experience. Why don't you get some work experience before, like, venturing out on your own, all sorts of things, right? It's just, it's never easy to make a jump or make a switch. And more than anything else, my parents were in absolute and utter shock because it's something that I've been working towards for like, including my high school education, right? Like for seven years in entirety, I'd worked towards this decision. And they just wanted me to be sure if I was okay with giving that up because Obviously, this wasn't going to be easy. I also was so insecure about not being able to make any money on this path, where all of my friends would have like careers that would let them travel and, you know, have all these perks. So it was, so it's definitely not easy. But all I'd say is that I'm just happier waking up every morning now, you know, even if it means not having the kind of life I could have had then. But what was the point? I, I, I saw that. I, was, I hated every day of it. I was like, so I'd rather be happy than you know, choose something that, that all of that will come. So Yeah, there's so much meaning in the work you're doing now for you and for everyone around you in the community. Right. No, in fact, I mean, look, I think even the pharmaceutical industry, right, if it has such an important part to play in the world, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what excited me about that as well. We were going to manufacture antibiotics, right, that right now play a very, very important part in coronavirus. So... I mean, technically, when I think about it, I always have been intrigued by the fact of creating something that sort of generates large-scale impact. And I think the only difference that I needed to realize was that wasn't my journey. Or maybe it was, but I just found more happiness and joy in this other path. And when I was able to identify that, I think everything changed. <laughs> mm -hmm. How'd you come up with the name Reservoir? I think it was when I was explaining to my dad what I wanted to create. And I was telling him, I was like, you know, like... Imagine a dam of water. Imagine like all of that water that is being stored and is being utilized when there's shortage of rain, right? So 
I want to create like a reservoir of resources for these families. And I think that sort of explanation just stuck and that word just stuck from there. So yeah, I guess that's how that happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it, you know, as you're describing it, even these images come in my head, you know, of being this kind of holding space for people. Yeah. That people can kind of dip into. I think we just wanted to create, like, I want to create a safe space, a safe environment. I think even our logo is a home with leaves around it, which basically signifies, you know, nurturance and growth and just, just nature. Yeah. So could you describe for us what the process looks like for someone who seeks to connect with Reservoir? Let's say they follow on your website. What does that look like? On our website, there are three things that you can do. The first one being, if you're looking for a service, a particular service or a, a need, you can go find that through our website. Right now, we have three categories, which include therapy. So you can find different kinds of therapy, like speech, occupational, physio, etc. Or you can find some extracurricular activities out there. Or you can find future security solutions on our website, right? Which basically mean, as an adult, things that you might need or your family might need for your safety and your security, you can find that. The second thing is mostly about the inclusion drives and campaigns that we do. So as a company, we have done a lot of on-ground advocacy work in different formats. So even if you're a corporate or you're a startup and you want to learn more about how you can contribute or how you can get associated with us, you can be a part of our inclusion drives. And the third thing that you can do is simply just get in touch with us for anything that you might want to share. Or if there's anything that you'd like to know and for us to discuss with you, then you can also leave us a message there. Apart from that, we also, like, we're very, very active on all our social media channels because I think that's the easiest way to spread the message. So we have a YouTube channel, we have Instagram, we have LinkedIn, we have Facebook, we have we're all over. So just, and we've, we've been able to reach out to so many different families across the country, right? Where I have people who've written back to me from Gujarat, from Madhya Pradesh, from other parts of the country, just pouring their heart out and sharing their stories when we share content and where I, where, when I share my story, saying that it's just good to know that you're not alone, right? And just good to know, like, Somebody somewhere is talking about it. So I think that's been really nice. Yeah, you're doing a beautiful thing, bringing people together, especially these days as people are moving more to this kind of digital platform so that they can have that access whenever they want at their own time and reach more people. So I can imagine that you've heard a lot of stories from families and maybe self-advocates, other professionals too. Could you share with us something that maybe surprised, inspired or moved you? There are so many, you know. I'll tell you something about a friend of mine who's on the spectrum. He also writes content for us occasionally. And he's the most incredible individual I've ever met. And in the beginning, he was so shy about expressing his thoughts. So he always wanted to remain anonymous, right? So even when he would write a blog for us, he'd be like, no, no, I don't want to tell the world that I wrote it. Why don't you just post it anonymously? And I said, okay, fine, you know what, we'll do it like that. But eventually, like slowly, as his blog reach increased, I told him, I was like, you know, Viraj, why don't, don't you want other people to get inspired by you and see that you're sharing this and don't you want to instill confidence in other people who are on the spectrum to also come out there and share their experiences? And then 
I've seen him change and become more confident about the way he writes, the way he speaks, you know, and I think he was extremely camera shy in the beginning. And then finally, he came out and did a video interview with us. It's such a small thing, but for me, it's such a big achievement. Because from a guy who would not want to tell people his name, for him to go out in front of a camera and talk about like an experience was absolutely beautiful. So I think... Just being able to do that makes me feel very, very proud of myself. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, so that was really nice. And of course, there are other stories that are extremely, extremely disheartening, but also inspiring in their own way, where this mother wrote to me from Gujarat and she told me that her family was on the verge of abandoning her because her child has autism, including the husband, including the brother, brother-in-law, everybody. And she was having a really, really hard time. So she wrote in her messages that her constant source of motivation was about how my brother was growing and developing and like just hearing stories about other families really motivated her and gave her hope that there's a future for her son as well out there. And, you know, in fact, we wrote like a really nice and long message for her entire family, sharing the most basic information, saying these are the things that you need to know. Maybe these are the things that will help you come to terms with what's happening, you know, just bringing some positivity to the whole situation. So yeah, so many of these, Rachel, so many of these. Yeah, you're instilling hope and you're empowering people and making them feel like they're not alone, exactly. Yeah. It sounds like such a huge mission to change the attitudes and understanding in a country. You know, and as you were mentioning before, you have to start with education. Yeah. People need to know what autism is. What would be the first step in all of that? You're doing what you can with Reservoir, but is there something that could be done in the education system at an earlier age? Yeah, I think more than anything else, if, if we can include this as a part of the education system, the education curriculum, for everybody, for every child, no matter where you are, right? Like everything else you learn in school, why isn't this taught in school, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, if we can learn about it in a neutral, non-hostile way, I'm sure it'll be fine. And I feel like children are the best, are the most open-minded people anyway, right? It's when you grow up and you develop all of these biases and, you know, it becomes harder to sort of mold yourself and mold your thought process. But when you're young and impressionable, just hearing about this in the right way will make all the difference. Yeah, and about that stigma that people have, you know, what do they think autism is? Do they understand it's a neurological disability? Who knows? Who knows what these guys think, Rachel? <laughs> there are so many different uh, different reasons out there. Some of them think it's because of the mother, of course. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the most common one that has to be there, that it's the parents' fault, or the mother did something wrong. Then there are... I think genetics is the most common underlying factor here, because from my own experiences, the number of times we've been asked if I'm at a risk of having an autistic child in the future is just insane, right? Or the number of times my mom has been asked if this, can other people in your family members have it? Can other family members have it? And my mom's like, sure. I mean, just like my son has it, my other family members can have it. So can your family. Like, So it's just this a lot of misinformation around this topic. Do people think they can catch it too from other people? Like it's contagious? I, I don't, maybe. You know, even if they're not saying it, it's like, It's like in their mind, they're just being safe, I guess, in a weird way because they think it's something that's harmful or something they need to stay away from. So I guess it's that. 
But also just, I think in India, we just in general don't sort of appreciate differences in general. We're very uh, vocal about uh, about that. But, and of course, it's not everywhere. I'm not generalizing the entire country, but it goes back to not knowing, right? When you don't know about something, you choose to like think about the weirdest things and whatever comes to mind, you feel like that's truth. Yeah. And this doesn't just extend to autism. It also includes other types of disabilities, right? Like the stigma and people not wanting to speak up about having a family member. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Like, in fact, I was talking to a friend of mine. She's a mother of a beautiful girl with Down syndrome. And we would discuss, so we actually made like a really funny video about this, about things that parents are tired of hearing or things that family members are tired of hearing when they see Nora. Because everybody would go like, oh, she doesn't look abnormal or she doesn't look disabled or she doesn't like, so just mm-hmm. people say the most insensitive stuff yeah. to you and like not realize what it can mean. Um, but I think like the only thing that's really helped us is us having a positive outlook towards it. So I'll just give you an example. Every time I used to go out into the park and somebody would make fun of us, I would initially feel really, really bad about it. And then my mom said, why don't you tell them about it, right? Just tell them. And then you see what, what they say and what they do and how they behave. And I was shocked. I think that was like the earliest lesson that I learned about advocacy and awareness. Because the minute I told these young group of kids when I was, when I used to go to the park and told them that my brother has autism, he can't speak, but he's really good at kicking a ball. And he's really good at cycling. This is, these are the things that he can do with us. You know, I think everybody went out of their way to help him, to like accept him. You know, I remember we would go pick, all of us would go to pick him up from his evening classes together. So just talking about it and when you put something out in the right way, it sort of helps people understand better. Uh, even when we go to malls, even when we go to theatres, right? We always try and tell people around us. Before they make a face, before they assume the worst, we tell them that it's not anything bad, right? He just has autism. These are the things that you can expect, especially if we're going to be sitting next to you for three hours, you might as well know, right? Might as well learn. Instead of just like feeling uncomfortable for three hours, making us feel horrible <laughs> for three hours. Just, I'll, I'll tell you about it. I'll talk to you. So I think that's, that's gone a really long way for us in terms of us feeling very comfortable with ourselves. Just saying that, hey, listen, don't freak out. Don't get scared. He makes weird noises. He's very tall. But... He means no harm and he's going to do no harm. So just relax, absolutely. And he might take your popcorn. Yeah, you know, he might take your popcorn, but please, please hide <laughs> it or please keep it on the other side at your own risk. Yeah. So everything. And I, and then nobody's that crazy to still like be like, oh, no, we're not going to sit here. Because then you're not that like this thing, right? Then they have no option but to laugh about it and smile about it and be like, okay, no, it's fine. You know, <laughs> so then you see yeah, it's about giving the autistic community a chance to be in public. And I think what you and your family are doing about educating people that you meet is a great start too. Because they, like you said, they see you, they trust that you are just trying to protect your brother. And, you know, being open to the possibility that they can understand and they can be accepting also. I wonder if some people just are afraid of what other people will say or afraid of that rejection, and so they don't take that chance of bringing their their child to the store, or to the park, or to the theater. Yeah. With Reservoir, with your organization now, have you tried to engage the mainstream media to call for more attention for your cause? Yes, I have. In fact, via print, via the radio, via just doing events, 
we have tried to do that and so far it's gotten us a great response at almost all levels except for it's surprising about you know how many people who have an audience who have people who would listen to them and who have the power much more than i do to change the mindsets of millions of other people don't actually talk about it right like i wish um people were as open as my family and just go out there and tell the world with the same amount of pride that we do but surprise i don't know why they don't do that just celebrities and artists who you know like they have a platform and for all other causes including you know th- there has been a complete shift in attitude towards lgbtq in our country now and very recently into the fact where my mom also now talks about it like as a matter of fact right and i couldn't have imagined that 5 years ago or 10 years ago to have a conversation on my dinner table about just she where she'll ask me oh so you know what's the, about the parade and you know what's why why is it pride and the flag and it's catching momentum but i think that's also because it got so much attention at all levels there were movies around it there were celebrities who were coming out and taking pride and talking about their identities so it was it's a whole community that has come together right at all fronts to make this change and i think that's sort of what we need even for the neurodiverse community to happen but because there's so much stigma around it i think even for people who've done really well for themselves they rather hide the fact that they're neurodiverse just because they're afraid that it will bring them down which i sort of think defeats the whole purpose of not being able to celebrate who you truly are or who your who your family is for that matter you know yeah so where do you see reservoir in 5 years it's something that i thought about very recently at least in all corners of a country people should have access to information about autism and about neurodiversity right even if i can't in the next 5 years make services accessible everywhere at least information should be accessible everywhere right nowhere should a person feel alone and isolated and sort of feeling caught at the hem of something instead saying oh okay i was feeling different i have this information and now this makes sense why right so just changing the way people look at this entirely throughout the country and just you know in fact even in bigger cities where i feel like as we advance towards a more inclusive community i think inclusion needs to be a way of life right it can't be that i practice it in my brother's school and i practice it in my own house but when we're in a mall we're going to we're going to isolate ourselves and i don't know you know so i think just sort of make sure that all of these efforts happen at a parallel level and as an ecosystem support becomes much more accessible and help becomes much more accessible in the next 5 years yeah well shreya we're going to have to wrap up here in a few minutes but i just want to close with if you have any advice to other siblings of someone with disabilities who might have been going through similar feelings that you were when you were an adolescent for example i mean my advice is that like every other teenage thought that you have where you think your parents are wrong mm-hmm. <laughs> or that your parents are trying to like you know get after your life i think just be more open minded about this right and i think if you be open minded about this you'll realize the benefits and the advantages of just being around somebody who's so different than you and, and everybody else and i think that's what's made me into a more sensitive person that's what has made our friends into more sensitive people 
we've become people who sort of look beyond petty things and just love more <laughs> you know mm-hmm. if if that's even a thing but i think just an open heart is something that you'll receive with a sibling so just have some faith stick it out i know it's tough because of course it's sometimes you will miss out on things you will be a part of things that you don't want to be a part of that's okay that's life if it wasn't this it would have been something else so don't blame your family don't blame, don't 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 take a step away cuz ultimately that's like really important and really beautiful mm-hmm. thank you shreya you're doing amazing work and the world needs more people like you really thank you rachel and i hope there are more people who hear me out as patiently as you did um, and <laughs> as your listeners probably will and i think that will really help in everything that we're doing Mm-hmm. And I'll post your links to your website and your YouTube videos on our show notes so people can follow you. Amazing. Even if we're talking in Hindi, most of our subtitles are in English. So basically everybody can access them. Great. Thank you, Shreya. Have a great day. Thank you so much, Rachel. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. I hope you found inspiration in hearing Shreya's message. Her wisdom definitely shines through her words and actions. I was really touched by the story she told of explaining what autism is to kids at a park. She let the other kids know that even though her brother can't speak, he can still do all these other fun things with them, and the other kids went out of their way to help and accept him. I'm reminded of the importance of educating young people about autism because that's really where inclusion begins. The youth are going to continue to build on the future we're creating for people of all differently abled backgrounds. Kids are so full of compassion. It's our job as adults to teach them how to show it. Thanks for listening. Take care. Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe are inspiring change and building community. Thanks for listening. Take care. You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at autismknowsnoborders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. By doing so, you'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.